0: Hi there, you're about to listen to a vintage episode of the Under the Microscope podcast. While the content is still as relevant and as interesting as when it was recorded, our web page has changed. You can now find us at thesciencetalk.com real scientist nano. Welcome to the 16th episode of Meet the Curator. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials and nanoscience who would be curating the RealSci underscroll nano Twitter account. Stay tuned to know more about this week's curator. Today we have with us Matthew Diazio, who recently successfully defended his PhD thesis at the University of Virginia. Hi, Matthew. Welcome on board.
1: Hi. How are you?
0: Good. Looking forward to our conversation now. Let's begin by you telling us how did you end up in your current research field?
1: Sure. This is kind of interesting question. I've bounced around a little bit uh, in undergrad before... I settled on, like, material science as my favorite field. Um, So originally, when I went to college, I thought I wanted to study astronomy. And I actually had the opportunity to do astronomy research, which was interesting. But I realized, at least for kind of observational astronomy, it seems that lots of the data you work with isn't necessarily you own. So I was helping this professor look at something about space weather, kind of like the solar flares and other activity from the sun. And all of the data was publicly available from a telescope in Hawaii. And the image analysis program I was using was also publicly available. Um, and so it was interesting, but I was it also felt really weird to me in the sense that, like, the project was basically just kind of trying to take other data and just reanalyze it in a new way. Um, And I just I didn't feel as much kind of ownership of that project. And then around the same time, I took this kind of there is a seminar on chemistry and nanotechnology in the chemistry department. And I took that and I learned about like I learned a lot more about carbon nanotubes and nanomaterials. And I thought that sounded really cool. Um, so then I started doing materials research in a chemistry lab, because I was just a physics major, so I kind of took advantage of the flexibility that provides, Um, and I also took some engineering classes, including material science, and I thought that was fascinating, I loved kind of being able to apply physics knowledge, and that was kind of why I liked astronomy, it was like getting to apply physics in different ways, and I really ended up liking the really kind of practical focus of material science um so i deeply respect all the astronomers out there who realized that was the field they loved but i ended up uh getting to do uh more research internships in nanotechnology i got to work on um, making transistors out of carbon nanotubes in japan actually that was a really cool internship that my undergraduate institution had um And then I worked on trying to make, to, the year after my junior year, I tried making composites by electroplating metals onto carbon nanotubes in another internship. Um, And I really liked those projects. So I decided I wanted to go to uh, graduate school and study material science and just fully commit to looking at how to make materials that we could hopefully use to uh, improve society.
0: Mm-hmm. okay, that's that's quite a quite a jump you made from astronomy to material science now. interesting. So now, where does your research, your current research fall in this big domain that is materials and nanoscience?
1: Sure. Um, so my research focuses on making nanoparticles, and in my case, I've almost entirely focused on how you make graphene, which people might not have heard of, but you've interacted with kind of like, it's big brother graphite, which is your pencil lead. And so graphene is what we call a single layer of atoms from that. Um, and so you can consider this a kind of nanoparticle. So that makes it kind of really classic mater- uh, nanomaterials. And I'm also interested in how these behave in um, a dispersion. So which is not exactly like a solution. it's kind of more like a molzins, which people might know of if you ever try making like a salad dressing and you're mixing oil and water, you have the two things that don't dissolve in each other, but they still can be kind of homogeneously mixed throughout each other. Um, And that's a good example of a colloid And so that's what a lot of what I study is the behavior of graphene and nanoparticles in these colloids and other liquids uh, and how we can try to apply them to make either a useful material or maybe they're useful as a material in and of itself. And then another, the way I study lots of this is using a technique called rheology, which is... fancy way to talk about studying how things flow and kind of might deform when you apply a stressor to them and so i use a rheometer so a kind of a flow meter uh to basically kind of jiggle or blend these solutions together um and so that falls into rheology or also soft materials, Um, but I like the term one of our professors uses where he says these are squishy materials, Um, (laughs) because people identify a bit more with
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you do squishy materials, you fabricate squishy materials, and you also characterize them with this fancy thing called rheology. Is that correct? Yes. To some extent. Yeah? Yes. Okay. So it sounds like you have a lot of interesting research projects which are going or different experiments that you are doing. Uh, If you had to pick one uh, research project or an experiment uh, that you're proud of, that you're most proud of, or most fun one, uh, could you pick one and explain it to us in simple words, in in the section we call, in in other words?
1: Sure. I think what I'm most proud of is the Graphene Project, because... (laughs) I had what turned out to be like a simple idea, but it was right and it might be really useful. Um, So I start making the graphene actually by taking plain graphite. So I literally take graphite, I add a liquid to it and I mix it in basically what's just a really powerful laboratory blender. Um, And what I study is Uh, how the properties of the liquid can affect how much and like, how good the graphene is. Um, And I was really interested in if a thicker liquid, so like technically a viscous liquid, but we always talk about something being thick. Um, So like honey is thicker than water and I was basically trying to see if things that were almost more like a syrup so not as thick as honey but also not as thin as water um could make more material because the thick liquids also kind of actually better like transfer all the stress you're applying to what you're trying to break up and mm-hmm. so I wanted to see if that would let me make more graphene. And it turns out that it did, kind of by, like, a significant amount. Like, over time, it was somewhere between, like, doubling and quadrupling the amount of material. Um, And so that was really cool. That was just a simple question that evidently no one had looked at. Does, can you make, can you use a thick liquid to improve manufacturing? And you can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm I'm glad it worked. And that sounds like a really cool, cool experiment that you did. Awesome. So, Matthew, you um, recently successfully defended your PhD. Um, and I hope your research experience so far has been wonderful. And it will be in the future as well, if you do decide to stay in research. Um, if you had three wishes to improve your research experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah, Um, so I did just defend. So I have have lots of feelings about grad school now in retrospect. (laughs) (laughs) And you can Uh, let
0: it all out now. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say one one of the biggest things I've noticed over time, and I realize this might differ by country, but... um, grad students don't have kind of like a lot of autonomy in the American system because you're often like assigned to a lab and you're sort of assigned to a project but that also can still be really dependent on the funding for that project. Um, So one thing that came up a lot in Graphene was or in my research was we were interested in this Graphene project but it didn't necessarily get a lot of direct funding so it was trying to figure out like ways to do the research that fit in with other things going on in the lab um mm-hmm. and sometimes that meant like questions that I wanted to answer that I thought would be like really helpful for understanding this production process um just weren't really something I could do because that would take too much time away from something else um mm-hmm. and so it would be I think it would be great if we could somehow maybe um fund more of like what the grad students are doing as a grad student than tie it into like just the projects that go on um which evidently i've learned from friends sort of exists in like the american national institutes of health where like grad students can get their own funding directly instead Mm -hmm. of being like the designated student on a project that was assigned to the lab Mm -hmm. um And so I think that could be cool because it lets you take like a bit more ownership and also probably does help you, like I've enjoyed my experience overall. And like, I do think I've become more independent, but I think getting to like kind of completely like control the project from start to finish probably does help you develop more of that like independent scientist streak that, um, and also the idea of like, how do you manage a project from start to finish Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, like, I'm done, but I know there's definitely other questions we would like to answer about my dissertation, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, so that will but, be up yeah. to the next student. Um, I'd say my second wish is maybe more support for interdisciplinary research. And I realize that can always be vague. And I just really remember there was a great conversation I had. There is, we opened this new environmental resilience institute at the university of virginia several years ago and in a really cool conversation um, with a student from the landscape architecture program um, which i did not even know existed i didn't know we had like a master's or phd in that um, and we had this cool conversation um, because the original motivation for my project was we wanted to add graphene to plastics to try to mm-hmm. Them stronger, or maybe they could be electrically conductive. Um, and this landscape architecture student's uh, thesis was she wanted to try using this invasive plant species as like a biomaterial. And so when she heard about like my goals of trying to add graphene to composites. She was like, oh, it's like you can make this kind of really weak bioplastic from this invasive plant species, but could we add your nanoparticles to it and make it stronger? Um, And she even met with my advisor and they were talking about it, but it turned out there was no funding in the Institute yet for such a project, especially like a project that didn't really have an experimental proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Um, but it sounded really cool. Like, what if you could try to get rid of this, like, invasive plant species by using it as a biomaterial? Um, and so I think, I know, like, interdisciplinary can be a buzzword. And sometimes I think that, too. But this was, like, it felt, like, really unfortunate here because these were, like, two very different fields trying to come together, like, materials and chemical engineering with architects, with landscape architecture. And so... It just seemed unfortunate that there wasn't something to help try to like let us run with that and study it more. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And then my final wish, and this is definitely my I just finished my dissertation with. Um is better standards about reporting on results in material science, especially with (laughs) nanoparticles. and just also I will say it is it is a literature supported twist because I read this paper in the middle of my dis in the middle of writing my dissertation about how it turns out that lots of the um the graphene nanoplatelets you can buy on the market are not actually graphene. Um <laughs> and it turns out like The storage (laughs) times are so long, they're starting to, like, clump back together into graphite. And so, like, none of their properties are what the producer is reporting. And this seems to be responsible for a large number of papers that have, like, negative results from using commercially available graphene to make a new kind of device or product. Definitely feel like I've seen papers now where we're talking where someone will talk about making some form of graphene and it just seems like most of the argument is like, here is one, uh, like electron microscopy image and here's one vibrational spectrum and it looks like graphene. And I'm just like, okay, but like, do, do we know how thick it is? Do we know like on average, how big these flakes are? Cause mm. that's really important for the comparison.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, standardization on reporting scientific findings in, in the materials research, and especially in the nano research, I feel there is no nomenclature or there is no standard. There are no standards that define, okay, this is the nanomaterial and this is not the nanomaterials. So it's a bit difficult. To, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Okay, I, I think all three of your wishes are very fair, and I wish I could grant them. But <laughs> <I can't. laughs> However, about your first one, um, um, the autonomy for the graduate students, uh, I think uh, there is a, 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 a fellowship program called Marie Curie. I don't know if you have that in the America. Uh, in the USA, there is Marie Curie, which, which allows the PhD student to some extent to have control over the research, uh, but I might be wrong here, but maybe you want to check that out.
1: And I know in in the US, like one of the biggest things that is kind of like that, there's um, the National Science Foundation's Graduate Research Fellowship Program, mm-hmm. um, but you can only apply to that, like you're first or second year in graduate school oh, um,
0: okay.
1: and so I was not really organized enough or was, it was I knew I was interested in applying but I did not have a good idea of what my dissertation project was at that point in time mm-hmm. and my professor I actually I switched advisors at the end of my second year um, oh, oh. and my first advisor actually like was really hesitant about me even applying for the NSF because he was like okay, but you'd have to make like this completely separate project that might be different from what the lab is doing. And I was like, but but wouldn't that be cool? Because then I could do this project. <laughs> and so it turns out, like, I think he was actually maybe like, but I don't want you to do your project. I want you to do my project.
0: <laughs> well, now you have successfully defended your PhD. So yeah. if you stay in research in the long term, maybe you can... Make these changes happen. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of the future, um, what are you most looking forward to in the next three months?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, so I am actually (laughs) literally
0: have very good questions for you. (laughs)
1: um, As we are recording this, I think I am literally later today submitting the final version of my dissertation manuscript. Congratulations! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I am really excited to do that because then I can officially say I'll be a doctor um, after it takes 24 hours to process that. (laughs) Um, And then um, I'm actually, I'm applying to a big uh, policy fellowship this week in America where you could go work in... Washington D.C. for a year in science policy. Um, So I'm excited to finish up that application because you can't apply until you're done with your dissertation. So this is actually a really busy week for me.
0: (laughs) A big week for you, and
1: deadlines.
0: deadlines.
1: (laughs) And then I hope to hear back um, about some of my other fellowship and job applications. I've applied for um, a fellowship in the spring. at the national academies of science engineering and medicine and this is around the time we hear back um and then i'm also looking at uh other like jobs or postdoctoral positions so i'm excited to start hearing back about things now that i can finally tell people that like i have the degree instead of like guessing it's like i'll be done somewhere between june and april i'm like no i know i'm done now it's like okay i'm no longer giving you like an entire year <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay that all sounds wonderful yeah <laughs> wonderful so before we end uh, what uh, i would like to know from you is a uh, fresh doctor soon to be doctor what are you? What What do you think? Are in your opinion, what are the challenges faced by the um, by this big big field that is materials and nanoscience, the interdisciplinary field that we have here? What are the challenges? What do you think?
1: Um, I'd say this is really closely related to my third wish, um, especially as we're starting to move, because um, a lot of research in carbon nanomaterials. Um, the fundamentals of that are pretty mature now like carbon nanotubes uh were discovered or some would say like rediscovered but finally appreciated in the early 1990s um, Buckminster buckminsterfullerene was discovered in the 80s graphene was made in 2004 um I think it was 2004 maybe it was 2006 yes. yeah
0: it was 2004
1: uh, okay yeah um And so like we know these these materials have these wonderful uh, properties. We would like to make uh, all these kind of like products and devices with them, but you're only gonna do that if you can make them in large quantities and still have like a consistently high um, quality throughout. And so like one of the problems with the blender method um, while it can produce like a large amount of graphene, one of the things you need to rec- you need to kind of accommodate is that it tends to be kind of to use another a favorite colloid science term, but often about like the lengths of polymers. You can kind of consider it as polydisperse. So there's like an average size, an average thickness, but you have a distribution. It's not. It's more like a bell curve than just like everything is the one thickness, the one length. Um, And so, which could be fine. You like people manage to work with like mixtures of polymers all the time, but you need to understand how to work with that. Um, And so, and sometimes you do need to like separate that more. So I think the challenge we see as we manufacture graphene or nanotubes at the large scale is What's the way of kind of characterizing this distribution? Um, And so we need to have more kind of standardized reporting on like, what is the average thickness? What is the distribution of thicknesses? Um, What is the average length of a flake? And what is the distribution of those sizes Um, as a result of these different manufacturing processes? and to do that you're going we're going to kind of i think need to standardize how we report these things um similar to how it's like i do think in calorie literature about polymers that has become pretty accepted it's like there's all these different ways of quantifying like the number average the volume average the length average depending on the application and right now sometimes it feels like if you're reading a paper it's just like it would probably be good for this one application. So we did that one application, but we didn't necessarily tell you a lot about like the full distribution of properties this graphene has.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think we're going to need that if we want to start making it large scale, because obviously when you move from like a simple lab process or painstakingly putting Scott's tape through a single piece of graphite to make a giant flake of graphene, We have to accept that we're going to get imperfections, um, which is true of all material science, right? Like we study lots of defects in materials um, and sometimes we want them. So I think that's going to be part of how we go from the lab to actually making the materials that can be useful for like the different technological challenges we face.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Matthew um, for uh, speaking to us, and we look forward to your time on Real Cy Nano. Great,
1: thank you so much for <laughs> Thank
0: you for listening to this podcast. Next week's curator will be introduced in the 17th episode, which will release on the 24th of November 2019. To know more about us, please visit our website, realscientistsnano.org, and follow us on Twitter at realsci-nano.